Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, as implications of the interim report delivered last week by the Independent Commission on Banking are fully realised, we ask what will the landscape of UK retail banking look like this time next year? This is one of the surprise emergences from the Vickers report, was just that there is going to be this possible competitive advantage to big European players who can retain branch status over here and still be regulated by their home regulator on capital. And we return to a favourite topic of the podcast, location, location, location. Well, for Barclays, the relocation idea is definitely off the table. Maybe for HSBC and Stanchart, the Commission report hasn't been such a sort of game changer. Both Asian-focused banks are having to compete for talent in Asia while abiding to the tougher pay rules back in the UK. And we end the show this week with another look at pay. The Church of England, which manages a $5.3 billion property and investment fund, has written to major companies and said, we will vote against any remuneration report where the bonus awarded to your senior executives is more than four times their fixed salary. Joining me in the studio to discuss these topics are Charlene Goff and Megan Murphy. Let's start the show, though, as usual, with stateside. This week, the US banking update comes from Helen Thomas. Over to you, Helen. Thanks, Patrick. The top three banking stories last week in the US. First, the banks are back in the regulatory spotlight after a major congressional report. Second, JP Morgan underlined its strength with a record first quarter. And third, Bank of America is again looking troubled, losing its CFO and unveiling another messy quarter. The first story, the US Congress unveiled the results of a two-year probe into the banking crisis and said it would refer evidence to the Justice Department for possible criminal investigation. This is bad news for Goldman Sachs and Deutsche Bank, who were singled out among those for criticism. But of course, it remains to be seen what the law enforcers do with the information and how broad the fallout might become. Secondly, JP Morgan provided some cheer, unveiling its biggest quarterly profit in its history, helped by the release of loan loss reserves and a very strong quarter in its investment bank. The results exceeded expectations, but more broadly, as banks adjust to new regulations and grapple with sluggish loan growth, investors are questioning where revenue growth might come from in the quarters to come. And finally, Bank of America had another horrible week, revealing on Friday that it would replace its finance chief after less than a year in the job. It also revealed a weak first quarter with higher costs in its mortgage business. The change capped a difficult period for the bank. At an investor conference in March, Bank of America reiterated plans to increase its dividend, a move that was blocked by the Federal Reserve 10 days later. It later emerged that Chuck Noski, the outgoing CFO, had not been aware of a filing which revealed the regulator's move, although the bank said that his job move was unrelated to that oversight. Investors are now sort of questioning what the future holds for B of A after a difficult few weeks. And that's all from the US. Back to you, Patrick. Thanks, Helen. Let's turn to our first topic for today, and that is the issue of the Commission on Banking and the piece that we had in today's paper on Monday on the angle that possibly there's a loophole in there that could be attractive to continental European banks wanting to come into the market in the UK. 
Charlene, maybe first of all you could explain to us the details of the loophole. Basically, it's a split between how the Vickers report could change things for British-based companies, but how it doesn't have the power to do the same for those based in Europe. So, as we heard last week, one of the key proposals was for British banks to ring-fence their retail operations in the UK and buttress them with a much higher 10% quarter one capital. So that would affect Lloyds, Barclays, HSBC, RBS, the other British banks, the smaller British banks as well. But the big European could sort of passport into the UK so wouldn't be caught by these tougher capital requirements, which could give them a competitive advantage in the market. So banks like from France and Germany and Italy and so on, relying on their home market regulations for what capital they have to hold, which in some cases might be 7 or 8%, even under the new tougher Basel III regulations, they have quite a significant advantage. Well, Megan, do you think it's realistic, though, that this is likely to happen? I mean, people talk about the likelihood of, of BNP or Deutsche Bank or even Spain's BBVA coming into the UK market, perhaps buying up these branches that Lloyd's is, is having to sell at the moment. Are they likely to want to come into the UK market? Do you think? Well, I think it's something that people are definitely going to be looking at. I think this is one of the sort of surprise emergences from the Vickers report was just that there is going to be this possible competitive advantage to big European players who can retain branch status over here and still be regulated by their home regulator on capital. But it also is something that we know there's concern about on the commission, and therefore they're going to be looking at ways to either A, limit the competitive advantage, or B, you know, close down this perceived loophole. So it's hard to tell right now whether this is a real um, causing a tremendous agitation among sort of lawyers, academics, policy wonk people more than it is actually among the BMPs, the BBVAs, the Deutsches, the, the players that you could think about in your mind that could come in. Because while I'm sure that all of these banks are looking at this, including Santander even. You know, it's something that could be substantially changed in the report come September. Uh, and so I'm sure they're also wary of putting too many eggs in this basket and thinking they're going to have this massive opportunity open up. And I also, I think this is just one of many considerations if you're thinking of launching a retail business in the UK. I mean, at the moment, as we all know, there's huge competition for retail deposits and profit margins are not great on the retail business. The UK is not the first market that you might think of if you're wanting to expand abroad. No, and we also haven't had the signs from banks like BBVA and Deutsche that they're in a desperate rush to come in and do retail business. I mean, they've had opportunities in the past with the RBS branches. They, I mean, BBVA was vaguely interested but never mounted a credible bid. We're hearing that it's not overly keen on the Lloyds branches. If you can buy a ready-made business and these banks aren't exactly queuing up, to launch from scratch seems maybe unlikely. We'll monitor that, but it's probably in the realms of the theoretical at the moment. Let's move on to the related issue of location of uh, banking headquarters. One of the key debates in the run-up to the Vickers Commission report coming out, it seems to have silenced that whole debate. We, in fact, wrote a big analysis last week arguing that it probably had silenced that whole debate, at least for the time being. Megan, do you think it will now die as a topic? I think it's getting a bit tiresome for sort of all parties involved in terms of government and regulators and the public in terms of this threat continuing being dangled out there. And I think people are sort of seen through it. And at this point, I think the biggest problem for the banks is every time they raise it now, people just say, well, get up and go then, you know, and they're sort of losing the credibility. And they've sort of lost the PR war in convincing people a lot of the merits of being headquartered in the UK and even having huge workforces here. I mean, there was a very detailed study of the financial effects of them 
leaving and, and it's and it's in the vicar's report and it, the conclusion was it's it's much less grave than they've threatened so i think that i think that's part of it but the banks do seem keen to keep this actually in the public debate about this and i just wonder as we go through the months now leading up to september and as we sort of hash out some of the finer edges of vicar's things that could be disadvantageous to the banks and that they want to reform if they'll still try and keep this going perhaps at a much lower pitch than they have before but until their ultimate bluff is called they keep free to sort of murmur it around and and keep it live. I suspect that as long as the vicar's agenda remains roughly the same, it'll be another, a different trigger that brings it back onto the mainstream agenda. I think that's definitely the case for HSBC and Standard Chartered, for whom the commission report was less of a defining factor than it was perhaps for for Barclays. And HSBC, we know, are very frustrated with the levy, with the with the imbalance of the capital, with the kind of... Yeah, the fact that the levy yeah. is charged particularly on, on the whole of the balance sheet rather than just on the UK part of it. Yeah, yeah also both those Asian-focused banks are having to compete for talent in Asia and while abiding to the tougher pay rules back in the UK. So there are a number of other parts of the jigsaw for those two, and I don't think we've seen those fully play out. Um, and we were getting the sense last week, while for Barclays the relocation idea is definitely off the table. Maybe for HSBC and Stanchart, the commission report hasn't been such a game changer. But I still think it's unlikely that we're going to see anyone actually go. We'll come back to that, I'm sure, periodically. Our final topic for today is the vexed issue of pay once more. Megan, you had a really interesting story in Saturday's paper on the Church of England clamping down on how much more chief executives of banks can get paid with their bonuses than with their basic salary. The Church of England, which manages a 5.3 billion property and investment fund that invests in, you know, a variety of FTSE 250 companies as well as separate property investors, basically has written quietly to major companies and said, "We will vote against any remuneration report where the bonus awarded to your executive, senior executives, is more than four times their base fixed salary." Now. Most companies would fall within that if you didn't include their long-term incentive plan or LTIP, which is generally generates immense controversy among shareholders. These are sort of long-term incentive plans that are awarded in one year but vest over several years and generally can make up you know significant component of executive pay. So if you went through and looked at executives whose bonuses were more than four times their salary, including their LTIP, it's virtually all the top 20 companies. It's definitely all the banks who have some of the highest ratio. Bob Diamond, the chief executive of Barclays, for example, his bonus and LTIP in 2010 of $8.8 million was 35 times his annual salary of 250000 Now, that's a bit of an anomaly because he was still being paid his salary as if he was head of the investment banking division. But it's a huge range. Stuart Gulliver was more than 10 times. Uh, Michael Spencer, the head of ICAP, again, 10 times. I mean, we're still talking very, very big ratios. And the church has refused to go into much detail about why they plucked the number of four out of the air, except for to say that they believe that you should be able to get it within that parameters and that it's an issue of justice and equality and fairness for all, as they said, fits in with the teachings of the gospel. They didn't say anything particularly on the multiple relative to the average worker. That might have been a topic you would expect them to explore. Actually, what I find so interesting about this and why I think it's it's such an interesting story is because they now have essentially put themselves at the forefront of a debate over this as to where is shareholders. They're, they're approaching this as shareholders, you know, not as the church. You know, obviously that's part of the motivation, but they're also just big shareholders. And 
what they want to say is we want to see specific limits on pay. And I, I do give them credit for sort of setting these guidelines for saying we're going to have these benchmarks. And the problem is, is that shareholders' voices in this entire debate have been really all across the board and, and actually very quiet. You know, we saw HSBC on Friday with some shareholders supporting modifications to that plan, although not as stringent. And I, and I, it's interesting, the church has now sort of emerged at the center of this debate. And so will investors follow them? That's the key question, I suppose. Well, Charlene, what did we see with HSBC on Friday? Well, HSBC has got backing from a big group of its shareholders for its new executive incentive scheme. And this is slightly reined in from the previous one. So, for example, it scales back the maximum top executives can be paid to 10 times salary rather than the previous level, which was 12. But that's still a huge multiple and, you know, obviously would fall foul of the church's views on this but but it's been a flawed i mean investors have really yeah. love what what hsbc has done but particularly they, that but also the kind of longer term play out of, of exactly the i mean they've plan, they've right? agreed that for example top executives will have to hold their shares for a lot longer until they retire from the company and none of the shares will vest before five years is up which is longer than the typical three years that we regularly see around the industry. Doesn't that suggest that maybe mainstream shareholders have a different focus from the church? Exactly. But I think the problem with this is, and what the church is really bringing squarely into focus, is the problem of LTIPs in general, which a lot of companies get away with because the public generally does not understand what is what is an LTIP. It's an acronym. It doesn't mean anything to them. The problem with LTIPs is shareholders see them awarded, and I think they're finally getting up to speed on this. And then what happens is even if performance is bad, the LTIPs are still paid out. You know, And that's, I think, what people are really starting to, to say and sort well, of really want to crack up, down Part on of that. the reason why it's very difficult to monitor is because it's not entirely it's transparent so what the targets are so in the first place. I mean, you know, some of the targets are the general area of targets are disclosed but the specifics of the triggers are not yeah like this year for bob diamond you know they sort of calculated based that he would get two-thirds Stephen hester they calculated as if he would get 100 percent. i mean it's it's very it's not transparent i was going through all the annual reports again on friday night and it just it's it's it would be impossible for even someone who specializes in finance to look at let alone an average member of the public so i do think that is part of the reason the church is stepping in now do you think their their voice will be a worry for the banks or do you think they don't have a huge amount of power to force them to change things? I don't think they have a huge amount of power, but I do think they have a huge amount of moral suasion among sort of commentators, among the media, among people who, when they're talking about this topic, are going to bring up the Church of England. And it's not the same as sort of a Schroeder's or a Standard Life saying it, but in terms of someone cracking down on you for high pay, it's not exactly the voice you want to hear. So it's exactly. it's going to be interesting. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see if it does gain any support. That's all we have time for, sadly, today. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene and Megan in the studio and Helen in New York, and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. We're away now for the Easter break until May the 9th. In the meantime, happy Easter. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.